Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome to part two of my interview with Kurt Steiner, world record stone skipper and a pioneer of the sport. If you haven't listened to episode one, you really should, because you likely won't understand much of what we're talking about in this one, and I'd hate for you to miss out. In this episode, we talk physics, philosophy, the future, and crazy cart people. My name is Tommy Butler, and you're listening to The Ocho. For when you threw the 88, yeah. you had thrown a couple others that day or uh, earlier that you counted and you said could have been in the 80s but the video wasn't quite right right do you think you've ever beaten that record without uh without video no the the record there might have been two throws that were in the same rough number but there but they were all roughly equal to that but they were not as clearly defined um it really was probably the best throw i ever threw <laughs> yeah um and and to be honest i couldn't throw that way right now it's so hard. <laughs> the, the body does protests. The window of precision is very narrow to, to get the spin right and the angle right and the stone, the right kind of stone. And, and the water surface and the wind, right, were all kind of cooperating with me at that moment. I think it would be very hard to beat that. Well, there's two ways... To get a lot of skips, you can just throw it like a skimmer, but throw it really hard. I mean, like 90 mile an hour. And who knows what that would do, right? We have yet to have a 90 mile an hour thrower just let loose on flat water and see what happens, right? I would We're love all... to have like a pool, <laughs> an indoor pool that just stretched on forever. That's, <laughs> that's the thing. You see, the, it's hard to get just the right water. Yeah. I, when I did my throw, I kind of used a little bit of a, it's not a trick, I consider it a skill, but if you throw a really far, good, clean throw, and then just, if you wait just the right amount of time, and then throw over the backs of those ripples just before they die, they make almost a kind of corrugation, right? And if you can run right up that same line you threw the other one, the stone is kind of like... It's like if you it's like when you're going up a rumble strip. Yeah. In a car. So you can rack up a lot of skips using that kind of patterned surface, right? Um, it took me a long time to realize how I wish I could, you know, I had water that looked exactly like I want it, right? Because not because dead flat is good, but a little bit of irregularity is better. But not completely random. It's like you want a little bit of a pattern on it. And then I realized, well, you can make the pattern. You just got to throw a good stone first, like a like a pilot throw, yeah, or a tracer of some kind. And then and then the other trick is you got to wait for things to settle, to just to, to like the ripples are only like uh, like a couple 
couple millimeters high, right? And then and then you got to throw the throw of your life right over the back of it. <laughs> you know, it's all it's it's a it's very like you the narrow twice in a row. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's a it's it's no mean feat, you know, and uh, it's definitely easier to train for and try to go for distance. I will say this: I think the dis the, the Doogie's three ninety eight as a distance record is much more assailable right now than my eighty eight. Right, I think I kind of put the bar pretty high there. The four hundred feet is a very high bar, but it's if I set the bar at like a let's say. An eight and a half on, on skip count, whatever the future may bring. I think um, maybe an eight. I think the 400 foot throw is maybe closer to a six on ultimate distance, right? So there's a little more accessibility on that end of it, which I'll say this, I'll, uh, I'll say it here first. I'm think I'm getting a little old here. So I'm, if I'm going to go, I, I have this kind of, idea that it would make a good story if I could hold both records at the same time, right? <laughs> that would very much would, be a good story. It would be a good story. Uh, it, 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 I don't know how long it would last, you know? Somebody would beat that distance record. I have a hypothesis that the best throw in, can never, that no one throw could be the best of both. There's reasons, physics, in terms of physics, I think, that one, the, the ultimate best throw for distance cannot be the same one for skip count and vice versa each time it hits the water it'll lose a lot of that yeah because the skip count is is hitting so many more times it's it's chewing up energy that would otherwise could be converted into distance right so there's a they only really affect each other at the upper extremes but you know if you keep pushing it eventually those those two skills bifurcate a little bit but i think for now i could i could take a bite of that I really kind of had the idea to do it this summer, but then it was so crazy. I, I have half a mind to actually like load up my truck with uh, like a thousand rocks and go south somewhere where it's warm and just train myself and just take a shot at it, you know, <laughs> just take a shot at it. I, I think I could do it. I think I could do it. It would be like unifying the titles, you know, the, the great Atlantic, uh, you know, East West kind of, thing i just it's it's just it would be something i could kind of sign off you know like i'm done you know (laughs) Uh, and that was the last rock he ever seen yeah yeah right 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 (laughs) nobody ever saw him after that yeah no i uh it it would let me then move on to like other things uh stone skipping related or not Um, i do have other ideas uh more toward the idea uh, toward the the end of um promotional stuff right growing the sport right you know you, you know you build the base to show people what could be done it's so much more than they imagined you get people wondering what they could do and then you you need an infrastructure for them to actually try to go explore because it's a lot of kind of crazy work to go driving hundreds of miles to get rocks and then you know you know i've thrown like i don't know how many Somewhere between a quarter and a half million rocks, I, I figured <laughs> out, right? And they, and they weren't, you know, they all cost something in terms of like gasoline and, or time, and yeah. time. You know, it's uh, it, it's it's got to be made easier for other people if they want to get into it, right? You can't you can't like have a a sport where every piece of equipment has to be handmade 
you know, by everybody who wants to participate, you know, it, it's, so I, it's like, I could just give people a jump start. Yeah. I was going to, uh, one of my questions that I really wanted to get into was yeah. like, what is the perfect skipping stone? Mm. Like what's the perfect water too? Right. Do you know, is it just about how flat it is or just, well, like I talked a little bit about that. I'll start with water since I see it this way. Did you ever see those weird science things where they have bicycles, but the wheels are really shaped funny. Yeah. But they ride over a ground that's kind of shaped to match the wheels, and so the bike rides flat. I've seen, uh, I've seen some things where people. I mean, it's not exactly the same, but like a weird shape that rolls perfectly circular, and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, a weird shape rolls smoothly because it's on a, a surface that happens to match it. Right. In other words, if I have an if I have a a wheel that's like an oval, but it's riding over like a corrugated surface, then the long part of the wheel goes down into the trough, and the short part, short radius goes over the peak. Then the whole thing just kind of the axle stays kind of flat. In the same way, a stone that's irregular is its shape creates a skipping behavior that has a kind of analog to a stone that is perfectly round skipping over a water surface that has a certain pattern on it. And and that in either case, my world record though basically took advantage of both of those. The point is really that you need a certain amount of randomness in it in your in your skipping in the sense that if you drop a ball and it bounces, each bounce is successively lower, right? Yeah. That's kind of the current state of classical physics stone skip treatment. A disc will just keep, every skip will be shorter, will be not as high of a bounce, and it will be closer to the next one than the last one, right? It's just a decay rate. If there's some irregularity in the water or the stone, you will occasionally get skips bounces that are higher than the previous, right? Or farther than the previous. So it basically resets the whole decay curve because there's more energy in the stone sometimes than you can get if you just let the stone decay out at its natural rate. So the randomness lets you basically lift the stone back up and get more use out of that like rotational or forward velocity that still exists. And you can, you can't, control it entirely but you can tilt your odds over high <laughs> repetitions right yeah and it's so and that's what we're doing so there there's an infinite number of things to talk about there but usually what you're talking about is wind and water together and shape of stone they all kind of make a set which has a solution <laughs> right the wind and the water equal a stone plus a throw like like franklin is a river right so that water flows now it's a little bit rippled but a very interesting thing about that venue is that when you're you're throwing the water is coming from your left now it's not visible but out over the water I've learned to kind of feel how there's an air layer and a very low air layer right against the water that is actually being carried just by friction 
with the flow of the water. And that little, like, it's not, I don't know if it's a thermocline, but it's a, it's a, it's a distinct layer. It's only about that big. Only and, a couple inches. Yeah, and if you can get your stone stuck in that, that's like where you're really going to succeed. Once it breaks in and out of that boundary, it's kind of like, like, I don't know, maybe a jet kind of going in and out of a jet stream or something. So you want to stay in like the eye of the storm a bit. It's complicated to say, but the main thing is going downstream a little bit over a slightly rippled surface seems to work better than going upstream or just on completely flat water. Uh, also, when it comes to wind, I prefer I prefer a breeze from my back, you know, like within 45 degrees left or right, simply because when you throw a stone and it's spinning, it'll want to roll over, right? If I throw right-handed and I look down on the rock, it's spinning clockwise. That stone will want to roll over looking at it from behind to a, in a, like a little clockwise, counterclockwise direction. To the left from, the right becomes the left. Yeah, in other words, the stone is spinning clockwise, but the whole disc of its, right, it wants to tip over left, like, like if it was an airplane, it would want to roll left. That is amplified by the amount of headwind it's getting. So if the air is coming from behind about three or four miles an hour, that's usually enough to slow down that rollover. And slowing down that rollover, it, it, it makes the window of your precision and landing it a little bigger, right? Because, you, because as you throw the stone, it's actually going to start to roll before you even hit the ground. Or if it does get kicked up by randomness and it gets up out of that layer of air and start, it'll start to want to roll a bit before it comes back in contact... And then it'll, it'll fight itself back into proper position, but it, it loses energy in that whole thing. Yeah. So the less the stone is wanting to roll over left, you know, or to, you know, just left or right, the more stable the ultimate behavior is going to be, right? So tailwind basically decreases the relative headwind the stone is experiencing, which works to your advantage. And it just also reduces just straight-ahead friction, air friction, which will let the stone run a lot farther, too. That's another aspect. Apologies for breaking up the action, but we have a quick word from one of our sponsors. If, like me, you're also a fan of more mainstream sports, not just the niche ones we talk about on this podcast, football is in full effect with many teams strutting their stuff. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on everything imaginable this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any other place online. Head to BetOnline today and use promo code ARMCHAIR to take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. As far as the stone shape, right? That is a, that's a that is a book right there, man. I actually I actually wrote everything I thought about that down on the when I went to Europe. I uh, I wrote this thing kind of tongue in cheeky. I took a big scroll of paper, like twenty feet long, like some ancient scroll, and I just started writing. You know, like I just divvied it up into random sized pages, and I would write on it 
all my theory about the intersection of the shape of the stone with its behavior on the water. And nobody will listen to that. <laughs> I've talked to many physicists and they all go kind of, hmm, but, you know, they got real jobs. So they, <laughs> you know, they don't really want to get into it. Uh, I, I, I think could, if anyone has yeah. the experience to be able to talk about this, it's someone who's thrown up to half a million stones in their lifetime. Right. Well, and I have a fairly deep, you know, comprehension of, of that kind of force physics, right? So it's not like I'm talking out of my confidence zone here. It's, it's kind of interesting and fun that at, at this point I can look at a stone and, and fairly pre accurately predict what's going to happen when I throw the stone, right? And that's, that's so complicated. But I can, I tell you what, I can give you like a few like rules of thumb, right? Like if it was an infographic. Yeah, if an like infographic. Different, different shapes. Right. What you're really looking for are which, which stones, first of all, are not safe to throw. Which ones have a high probability of just failure? One's failure is, is largely comes out of sharpness. All right. So at this point, Kurt picks up a pot off the table and showed to me what he calls each different part of a stone. Of course, the top and bottom are what you'd expect them to be. Now, if you imagine a disc like a Frisbee, the side is the whole part that connects the top and the bottom. It's the part that rests in your palm when you're throwing a frisbee, or the part that gives height as opposed to width, if that makes sense. Man, it is hard to describe things in an audio medium. Anyway, the lowest part of the side, or the part that's touching the water and where the bottom meets the side, is called the edge. It's the bottom fifth of the stone's area heading to each lobe, a lobe being each side of a rock that is furthest from the center. So an oval has two lobes, for instance, a triangle would have three, and so on. That lower edge, if that has sh sharp points or any kind of thing in it, it's going to basically act like a saw blade when it hits the water. So <clears throat> rule one is that bottom edge has to be free of, if it feels sharp to your finger, you're in trouble. A second one would be if you imagine like a, a saw blade, how they kind of are pointed in one direction. Yeah. Right. If you imagine that you threw, spun a saw blade, if you throw it one way, like with one side up, then it, it will bite the water, just like a saw blade would bite the wood. If you flip it over and spin it the same way, then it's what I would call feathering, right? You're, you're hitting, you're leading with the backside of the tooth, Yeah. right? That's the safer way to throw it, right? So if you look at a stone and it's got a cutout in it, then you want the you want the smoother or rounder side to be the leading edge. Okay. That way the sh the sharp point is like follows the round. So the round creates kind of a clears the way for the point and it does less damage. Yeah. If you turn it this way, it can grab and take off on you. And then the last thing is if the stone has uh a bottom say that's concave like a like dimpled up into it that can be dangerous if it's too severe or if it's too sharp around that bottom edge right it'll just catch and yeah right concave a little bit what'll happen is the stone will kind of lean over and stick to the water 
and you won't get a lot of clean, distinct skips. It'll almost look like almost like a shark fin, how they can kind of just yeah. skip, right? At the end of every throw, there's that sort of like right. a million little right. taps. <clears throat> right. As as a stone really gets flat and spins like that, it'll arc. It's it's just if it's concave, it might arc from immediate contact, right? It's really kind of fun to watch. It's, it's, it's not really good for a tournament, but it is interesting to just throw a stone and watch it go, whoosh, you know, high power like that. If you throw it hard enough, you can get it back and throw it again. It's always been a question as to whether you can get a stone to, to go backwards at some point. A boomerang. It's, it's, uh, there have been a few that were in the ballpark of almost pulling it off. It's, it's a question as to whether or not it's physically possible, but it's an if open question. If you manage to do it, you need to keep that stone. You cannot throw that stone a second time. <laughs> right. It's, you know, a friend of mine calls that alligatoring because he thinks of it as like the snout of an alligator under the water just doing a big like arc. I don't know. But uh, so that, those are like your obvious answers. Um then, you know, there's some other, actually, actually, those are the more technical ones. The obvious ones would be if the stone feels rough to your finger, like a little bit of sandpaper or something, well, that's going to, it's going to grab the water more just like, because it's rough and you're going to lose energy. It might skip well, but it'll just bog down faster. So something that is more like, as far as I could tell, the flatter it is, the better it is. It just seems to be that way. Does the problem, the, does this, should so is an oval the best shape, mm -mm. or if you find like a triangle, does the type of rock matter? Like well, those are two actual... questions. Um, yes. <laughs> I'll start with type, right? By type, I'm, I assume you mean geology. Yeah. Right. Yes. I mean, you have to be a little bit of a geologist mm -hmm. to do this. Um, when you, the, the main thing you're thinking about geolo geology is, does this kind of stone cleave into nice horizontal uh, sections, right? Shale is good for that. Slate is good for that. The Easdale in Scotland, that quarry, uh, slate quarry. So it's like it's like this, like a stone skip factory blew up. <laughs> Everywhere are these just beautiful slate rocks that are just so they're perfectly flat and parallel on the top and the bottom. It's wonderful. Lake Erie is shale is very close to that, although the, the, the they're not necessarily as regular in the parallelism of the top and bottom, right? But you can still find a lot of good stuff. So slate is good. Shale's good. Sandstone has the right shape, but now you're getting into a, a larger... Larger grain. Right, exactly. And that creates more friction. So that kind of goes downhill. The other thing to consider is the density of the rock, right? Because the same... Let's say you took two stones that were identical, but, but one of them was... Except one was more dense. That denser stone for the same weight can be thinner. So a thinner rock has then less of those arrow effects. So ideally, you're always looking for like a nice dense stone that has, you know, all the other features. They're yeah. very, very rare, simply because most of the stones all fall roughly in between like 2.7 and 3.1 grams per cubic centimeter. <laughs> it's just gonna be what it is. Uh, you know, hypothetically, you know, if you could make stones out of like steel or something, they could be very thin and you could really get them to cut through the air. Um, there, there is some relationship between the thickness of the rock and its, its, its risk of, of basically being so low, so thin that it, it hits 
it's the you, the water has to be that much flatter then, right? Because yeah. yeah, a lot of times I'm seeing, I try to see what's happening from the perspective of the stone, right? So this, if I'm that much denser and thinner, then the wave little wavelets I'm looking at grow that much bigger. And so I have to be bigger than the wave or I'll stick into it. I'll like run to the side of it in my head. So, but that's the idea. You want dense and you want these parallel sides. And then to answer your question about ovals and stuff like that, there's an optimal kind of range of, right, ovals. I, I break every stone into what I call lobes, right? A lobe is just the, a, the longest radius from the center of rotation, right? You spin a rock, it's going to have a center of rotation based on its balance. The longest point is a lobe. And, and there may be multiple lobes. Like a, like a, a pentagon has five lobes, five yeah. points. Because if it's like we were talking earlier, if it's spinning really fast, those are the points where it's going to hit the water most likely. And... Somewhere, like, there's a, it seems like the best number of lobes tend to be four to five. Too many and you're actually starting to approximate circularity or you're just, you're getting too many contacts, right? You don't want two lobes to hit in one skiff event, if you can help it. Yeah. Uh, and triangles are just, the, the corners are, the angles of the corners are usually just too sharp that they dig too deep in the force transfer so they they lose energy too quickly that way so it's a balance between the the, the sharpness of the angles of the lobe and all that the geometry of the lobe and the odds of you know how, you want just enough lobe to make one skip per contact one contact yeah. per skip squares diamonds Various kinds of trapezoids, uh, a couple pentagons are good. I happen to like ovals actually as, as is like uh, because they're so rounded, they, they don't lose a lot of energy when that lobe hits. And they can all, and because they're so balanced, the symmetry of the lobes kind of lets either side have an equal opportunity to skip. So I actually have like what I think is the perfect distance rock. It's a, it's a, it is an oval and it is like a half an inch thick and it's got pristine top and bottom flat sides with just the right geometry of side and edge that I just want to really let that go on some flat, <laughs> flat water, but I don't want to get, I don't want to blow it. <laughs> I can, I can already imagine having something that you've put this much weight on right and you throw it and it gets like two skips and you just uh yeah, yeah. Crush me. you could make a whole <laughs> glossary of like stone skip angst <laughs> right <laughs> yeah that's one of them when you when you have a really great rock and you blow it that's one conveniently stone skipped angst is actually my new band name by the way so thought i'd plug my soundcloud <laughs> catch me on that another one is when you're searching for rocks and you see what looks like a perfect stone sticking out of the sand, you know, and you grab down and you reach it and you pull it out and the rest of it's just crap. That's another kind of like, oh, yeah. It's or like with my very 
small amount of uh, experience. It's like when you see a nice rock that's sitting on the sand, yeah. you grab it looks perfectly smooth, you grab it and it's Yeah, yeah, right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're like the head of a giant. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, that's another one. Uh, another one would be uh, you see a rock and you it looks perfect, but the first thing you do when you look at a rock is what is the optimal side to put down, right? Because rocks, the first thing you notice is that most of them have a handedness, right? Because of that saw blade effect yeah. or just because of like one side might be flat and the other side might be rough, right? You want the rough side up. But what will happen sometimes is if you put the rough side up, then you also put this, the, the, the lobe biting into the water. So, you, you know, so it's like you, you get a conflicted stone, I would call it. Where one, the side rotation wants to be this way, this side up, but the texture wants it to be the other side up. And in that case, what it means is you should just give the rock to like your lefty friend, <laughs> you know. Uh, that's what it is, right? Because you, you, you know, you're looking at it from your preferred handedness. And, and what you're basically showing is that I've got a left-handed rock. If I flip it over to make it right-handed, then I put the bad side down. So, you know that that's a frustration too. It's like it's a perfect rock, but I can't I'm not, I can't <laughs> throw left-handed. So what do you do? You know, uh, would you uh, say Erie has the best stones? Erie between like Cleveland and Buffalo, that stretch is on a scale of like one to ten. They're like you can find solid nines in there. Wow. Um, Easdale, like I said, has nine pluses. And what it, what it is is there's more there's there's less variability, which would bring you to like the idea that you could make artificial stones to try to to um, speed the process of getting to getting good stones in people's hands so that they could just practice without getting discouraged. Right? You can yeah. make a stone that skips so easy that it would you you hate to see people go out and skip rocks the first time but not know what they're doing. And that usually begins with picking bad rocks and then and then get disturbed because they couldn't make it do what they wanted. So if you give people a good rock, it's like giving them a frisbee. It's like easy to throw a frisbee in a way that makes it like impressive if you've never done it. Yeah. And you, and so I imagine a stone like that. But it becomes a big question. There's a lot of purists, and I'm not I'm not necessarily not a purist. <laughs> uh, what I mean is. Um, there's an art to learning how to read, you know, chaotic stones and pick out the ones that will perform for you. And really, purists are like, that's part of the process, right? You need to learn that. Otherwise, you're just cheating. You're just like, everybody's getting a good, like, precision bowling ball. And all you really have to concentrate on is your throwing form, Right. Imagine if bowling balls existed out in the world and they were all different and you just had to go find a bunch of those and then try to roll them. Every throw then becomes a, an accommodation of that particular stone or that ball, right? Yeah. And that's, that's harder. So I've imagined tournaments where there's lots of ways to do it. You could either take natural rocks but give everybody an equal amount of some prefab stone that they would mix into their tournament throws and but everybody would have one or two exact copies of the same throw in addition to their natural ones or what i like even more is going out in the world 
and having professionals all submit a selection of natural stones they found and then 3D scan them and reproduce them and then let everybody select from a, a set of these particular stones ahead of a tournament. You know, like you can pick any, you, everybody has to throw one of these and then you get to pick any other three you want. So you get to use your own like personal flavor assessment, you know, your own logic. I like these, I like these, you know. Now and it's then like disc golf almost where you have different discs that do different things and people have a <clears> hundred <throat> different discs and they like this throw. Right. Means I need this. Right, specific. right. Exactly right. Right. But you would have to, you would have to have done many throws with them to understand that, right? To understand like the, the logic of using that one. Having started playing disc golf, I can tell you that this one says it goes really far. I throw it in immediately. Yeah. Like, I don't know how to throw this disc. Right. That's right. But see, that that's part of the diff. But disc golf has to be on your list. Actually. It is on my yeah, list. Yeah, that's, yes. that's a good. I'm actually. I've heard a lot of disc uh, or ultimate frisbee players to kind of talk about stone skipping as kind of a possible near cousin. That's why I was yeah. so interested because I played ultimate in college. Ah, and there you go. So I can. As you said earlier, I can throw a frisbee in a way that people are like, whoa, that's really cool. I don't know how many skits I've done with a rock, but being in central PA, I don't find many good rocks to skip. Really? I would think that there'd be some, but but I don't know. This sounds like a fantastic, uh, you just need some physics major or physics, someone going for their like uh, doctorate or their master's degree that's just a little crazy and willing to try to figure out confirm all those theories i'm trying you know there's a i i had i, I tried to get the the uh, uh the utah wired professor guy on that video to do that and it's a little annoying because he he was working with elastic balls what they call woboba balls yeah um water bouncing ball thing I, you know what i mean they're like hacky sacks almost a little more stretchy and he said oh I, we've discovered by launching these elastic balls out of a air cannon at the water that they tend to take on this kind of behavior we call it water walking well guess what that is that's just the an elastic ball taking an asymmetrical state a state and becoming kind of uh, a, like a rigid body equivalent of a like my irregular stone right when you when you spin an elastic object under high speed it'll elongate in some dimension and then hold its shape and then when you throw it over water yeah it walks on those lobes and i said i've been talking about this since like 2007 (laughs) uh for basically like i said the rigid body condition where you're you're not stretching the thing into shape but it's, it's just naturally in that shape and you tilt it rather than roll it but it's the same exact, not the same exact physics, but it's like the closest cousin you could have to basically an asymmetrical object spinning very fast over a relatively flat surface. And I said, we need to discuss this. Please discuss this with me. And they were like, well, they poo-pooed it, right? <laughs> I think with, I think with their academics and maybe they were just like feeling a little too much, like they, they wanted their proprietary idea out there. But I had even defined it as walking, the term walking, to another physics guy in France five years before that. <laughs> anyway, uh, and, there's, and, then, and for a stone, there's like five or six modes that all basically approximate that same behavior in my head. So I'm going to give up on them 
But there's a guy, um, there's another YouTube guy named Mark Rober, yeah, I think. Yeah. He does stuff like that, physics things. And he wrote, he made that Stone Skip Robot. And he's got just as many hits on that video as like the Wired piece. Right? Yes, it's like 13 million or something. So I'm thinking, you know, maybe he would be willing to go deep dive. He made he made an object, a robot that actually skips very well. But now, would he be interested in doing that deep dive with the irregular things and test those various theories out? And I'll call them theories because I, I see them just having to be naturally falling out of just physics in that situation. They're not just hypotheses. I think I think you could prove something. The only question is whether if what I'm saying is true, whether humans are actually capable of implementing or imparting those forces sufficiently to make that happen the way I imagine, yeah. right? I'm thinking I'm doing something, and I think under high enough power, it would happen. But is that really what I'm doing? Because it might be outside the realm of biomechanics. <laughs> I don't know. But you should be able to do it with like a machine, yeah. you know, and then just a question of whether or not a human could reproduce that. I think I did, <laughs> but you know, that, that would be another next, next phase is to undermine all of this hypothetical stuff with like a, a rigid mathematical you know, stamp of approval, let's call it, you know. Sorry for the interruption. We'll have a couple of sponsored ads in just a second, but I wanted to let you know that when Kurt and I sat down to record this, we ended up recording it in three separate parts. This episode is a culmination of the second and third. So after this quick break, we'll head into the third and final section of what we talked about. Thanks so much for listening. If like me, you're also a fan of more mainstream sports, not just the niche ones we talk about on this podcast, football is in full effect with many teams strutting their stuff. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on everything imaginable this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any other place online. Head to BetOnline today and use promo code ARMCHAIR to take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Support for the Ocho comes from Manscaped, who is the best in men's below and above the belt grooming. The holidays are here. Have you made your wish list yet? Our sponsor today has the number one wished-for gift of the year. Manscaped is here to ensure you're taking care of your manhood and your nose hairs with their new performance package. This bundle includes the Lawnmower 3.0 trimmer, the best trimmer on the market for your whole body. And let's not forget their famous liquid formulations, the Crop Preserver Deodorant and Crop Reliever Toner to maximize your hygiene routine. Get the performance package now to receive their two free gifts, the Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. The performance package is the best value that Manscaped has to offer, and it's hot off the shelves. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code armchair at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code armchair. What are you waiting for? I know one thing that you've been waiting for is to get back to the actual conversation. So as we're coming back, this was the third section of what we recorded, and I believe I asked right before we started what some of the physical differences or the physics differences between skimming and skipping in this sport are. Enjoy. One is you have that spin-dominated skipping, so you don't need 500 feet of a, of a constantly decaying skip distance in order to get, you know, 100 skips in, right? 
the more skips that you want according to a classical regular disc model, by definition, you have to throw it that much farther to give it the time to it'd be like saying, if you want a hundred bounces of a ball from dropping it, you need to drop it from a certain height, right? If you want to drop it from it half the height, speed. right? That they translate very accurately, or, you know, congruently. That's the current understanding of like that wired pieces physics, right? You basically just stretch out the distance to get the number of skips you need, which translates into an amount of force you need to input horizontally. I look at it completely through the other end of the telescope, which is if you spin an irregular rock fast enough, then you just need enough forward momentum to you, you can you can densely pack your skip so much tighter that you don't need anywhere near that distance to get the same number of skips. I I think my throw is probably barely over 60 miles an hour. And probably only went about 300 feet. But my 400 foot throw, now that probably only skipped 30 times. But I, you know, threw it hard. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, I think it only skipped like twice or well, three times over the first like 150, 200 feet. <laughs> Bang, you know, but it was real, you know. So it's it's just a different philosophy. Yeah. And it's a philosophy, the spin component is not a philosophy scientifically that has been hashed out, right? So I can't tell. I cannot tell. The, the real problem, if you go the current mathematical, you know, get your skips by throwing farther concept, then it becomes that much harder in the real world to get that much water that's flat enough to carry the stone all the way to the end without interference from ripples or breezes or anything like that. Yeah. That model also works a little better on super flat water. And so, you know, six or 700 feet of perfectly flat water or nearly flat water and no wind, you know, where would you do that? <laughs> you know, in the real world, you're better off, I think, putting that energy into the rotational momentum but you know it, that's that's something that the future can answer you know I, i'm defining the, the the question or the experiment but i i don't know that i'll ever be able to answer it exactly without like a you know a stone skipping robot you know or something like that or a you know a professional baseball player and or whatever a retired baseball player that like i know in the japanese <clears throat> baseball league there are a lot of pitchers that not a lot of but there are at least a couple that i know of that throw the ball such a low submarine that their fingers are almost scratching the uh the mound as they're interesting it, yeah and they kind of release it up yeah which is confusing to the batter yeah right i'm wondering if someone who already knows how to throw like <clears throat> that could translate that into skipping a stone in my opinion this is one of my little what i like i would consider a side project I would have no end of glee <laughs> if I could go train a woman to, you know, knowing what I know, to basically just beat the guys up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like just come in and just destroy Pennsylvania or something. And when I've thought about that, I think in terms of, uh, well, who's doing that? I think what you're saying is not impossible, right? That is an angle. But I also think 
like a fast pitch softball pitcher. Yeah. Whoa. It's like all right there. All you'd have to do is change your hand mechanics a little bit in your release point, I think. And you would have some wicked, wicked women throwers. And I, I have kind of a, uh, it's not a mission, but it would be a really fun quest to see if, if any women out there would be interested. If any, if any women are listening, you know, and you, want, and you have some good fastball experience, fast pitch. Because also, see, the, the weight of a softball tends to get closer to actually the weight of a stone, too. Yeah. So they're familiar with that weight. And they got the arm speed. And because they're used to, baseball pitchers, too, would be used to knowing how to use their fingers a little to, to affect the spin and the angle of the release. It's all right there, you know, uh, even pitching off a mound. I don't know, the, 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 the softball pitchers pitch off a mound. I don't think so. I think it's yeah. a, just a circle that right. uh, is flat. But if I remember... Something stuck in my head that they might not. As a side note, I kind of... I have, perf- over the years, realized I prefer almost to require either a mound or some kind of block in order to... Uh, because I'm not tall, I need to push either hard forward off my back leg or drop down off at least like four to six inches. That's just enough sometimes to kind of straighten out my angle, compensate for basically only being like 5'9". So maybe it would just be really fun to just see if anybody could do that. I just think it would be great. I've also thought there's a, there is one female uh, stone skimmer in, in uh, UK that I've watched. They actually have about three that are pretty good. But there's one, her name's uh, Lucy Wood. She's kind of geeky on this too. And, but her, her throwing style is very amenable to just amping up. No woman at Easedale has ever hit the back wall. The, the men are getting better and better at it. One guy last year hit it like seven times or something. Wow. Crazy. How far is the back wall? It's only like 220 feet. And I went there and I blew my side out. I ripped all my obliques in that oh, Welsh, wow. Welsh tournament. So even when I... If even if I wanted to uh, be serious at that world record thing, I was I had this huge inflammation thing going on. But I did get to go travel with Alex Lewis up to Scotland, check out Easdale, and it hurt. But I was able to just test what it feels like to throw there off this. You got to stand on this rock, right? And my first throw was just like, Ugh. second throw it hurt a little. And then I dialed it in, and I think I hit like four of my next five or four of my next six so it's you know it's not that hard when the water's flat you know that's how fast i figured that yeah but no woman has actually ever hit that and i think i think it would be of all the women i actually know who do this already part of me is kind of like thinking ah i wonder if lucy would actually like let me just give her a few pointers on how to just get a little more power in her shot you know because she's got the you know, you look and you could see, I'm good at seeing potential in people. I don't think I've ever seen anybody that, that it's like I, I, I can see early in their career, if you will, their potential. And then I try to feed them some encouragement. And I think she, she could do it. I think it would just make her so happy to hit that, be the first one ever. I'm not sure she'd want my assistance, but it's out there. I'll put it out there as an offer someday. Because I want to see more women get into this. You know, it's women have uh, uh, in stone skipping an incredible amount of spin precision. 
So they're all, they're very well suited to uh, that kind of rotation, kind of dense packing, because you don't need that much forward velocity. You just got to get some snap in your wrist. And I, I would really like to see if women would be able to find an angle. There used to be a girl out of Boston named, uh, oh, sorry, I forgot her name. She was good and she got discouraged by basically some bad calls. Uh, she in One year in Vermont, she, I think she actually had probably the best skip count, but her, her throws were not that far. And the judges were new at that point and they were a little bit swayed by the distance that the men were throwing. But in my perspective, and also Paul Farrell, we believe she actually uh, won that tournament. Certainly came in second because they just they were just these nice sliders. And now you see the same kind of throw happening in some men, like um, Aaron McCracken has dialed down the forward and just tried to slide that rock a little better. And so it's there. It's there. I like the idea that what you're doing is you're kind of shading into that Mizukiri mentality. Yeah. Where you're you're saying, well, that was a beautiful, clean pretty shot and that should be rewarded <laughs> you know because <laughs> it's not easy to do that it's not easy to do that it took me a long time to be able to say well i i can either throw for distance now or i can make one stick you know and uh and so i can change the character of, of my if you will skip expression just by changing my throw kind of throw to throw but you know it was a long road to hoe I'll say that uh, I can throw so many different ways, right? I can throw with my pointer finger, my middle finger. I can throw in three different body approaches. And that has the advantage of allowing me to maximize my throwing style to the stone that's in my hand, right? To me, the whole, the throwing style I use and the finger I use comes out of what stone do I want to throw or just what do I have available? Anyway, uh, I'd like to see more women in it. The whole thing's a family. All these people do this. They're all a little bit half a notch off in a way, <laughs> right? You kind of got to be to just make this your deal. But uh, it's very welcoming. It's always fun. A lot of good stories. And some of the best uh, friendships I ever made have come out of this. Like I said way back, uh, it's like a safe space. Yeah. Yeah. I have a couple... Questions. Yeah. One of them was one that you wanted to talk about mm. with uh, how they score in Pennsylvania. Mm. Uh, see, over the years, I'll, I'll start with this. The Europeans, <laughs> you, the UK, tended to be a little bit kind of snobby. <laughs> in, in, in a, not a trash talky way, but just a kind of, uh, let's just say they were proud of their stone skimming tradition. But they're distance oriented, pragmatic. And they were like, well, you can't count skips. It's too messy. It's too fast. It's not a good metric to gauge by. I personally like the fact that they are two different skills and they use different rocks. And that ultimately it is harder to count skips than distance. But that just means that the methodology of counting hasn't quite caught up. You know, it'd be like the Cyclops and the tennis thing, right? The, the, the box that reads whether a serve was in or out. Right. Yeah. Well, how, how many years did tennis exist relying on the eye and how many wrong calls were made, you know? Well, in, in Pennsylvania, okay, we're not to where we have electronic counting yet. What they do is you have a group of judges, maybe four to seven, standing around and they all watch the throw. And when you count, you try to do your best count. 
and you basically go through three phases of the count. First of all, you lock the throw in your memory. You watch it live and then you keep it in your head and you reevaluate it in terms of three things. How many skips did I actually see cleanly? In the earliest phases, you can kind of see quite clearly. Then there's a kind of a middle phase where that might have been one or two skips, or that might have been three or four skips. So then the middle phase is kind of a range of like, well, it, was, it had to be at least three, but it couldn't be more than seven. Yeah. And then the end is a whole bunch of skips that are so close, you can't really be convinced that they're isolated. Like that little tail at the end. Right. But what you do then is you, you use a time element. Right? There's, there's a fairly strong correlation between the time a stone continues to run and the number of skips it is probably adding up in that time. So it's like 5 plus 5 to 10 plus 3 and a half seconds, which might be another 7. So everybody does that kind of rough math, and then they pool all of their opinions together. And then the judges will throw out the highest and the lowest, and then just kind of take the average in the middle. And it's actually fairly accurate in terms of, not, not necessarily in terms of the actual absolute count, but what it does give you is a very good indication of where every throw ranks against the others of the day. Yeah. And so the defense of the Americans against the European, let's say, critique, is that we're not actually trying to count skips in a, like a, like with any kind of like strong opinion. What we're trying to really do is say, what, on a relative basis, what were the three best throws of the day? And using numbers as basically a placeholder for rank. So, you know, it might've been only 15, 20, and 25 skips in reality, but if they call it 26, 29, and 31, as long as the, the, the sequence is the same, you, you've done your job, yeah. right? You're, you're ranking. And in that respect, you're actually kind of just putting a numeric tag on what Mizukiri does in Japan in just a, a straight-up win-lose right, kind of situation. They, do, you know, they don't do all the math in their head. They just say, well, that's because they're only looking at one throw, one person's throw against another person's throw. And so for them, it's just easy to say A or B. But what they're yeah. doing is essentially that same kind of aesthetic combination of you know, aesthetics plus technical ranking that Americans do just in aggregate over six throws against every, you know, maybe 20 throwers. And it, it all works out about the same. Very rarely does the best throw not win in, in like Pennsylvania or other stone skip tournaments. Uh, sometimes it's really just so close. Um, I, could, I could probably say that there may have been one or two wins or second places I had that might have been second or third places, right? But against that, the same guy that I might have kind of glucked out against has also... You know, one or two kinds of wins. It's just, um, it's just like in any sports. At, at some point, you know, we put up with like maybe a bad call changed the win loss of a team in a football game. Yeah. Now, even professionals, baseball. Foot, yeah, right. Without, like you can challenge a call at the plate, right? But if they say that the strike zone is farther to the right than it shows, exactly on TV, right. There's, there is a certain amount of gray 
that even affects the most professional sports. There is no more gray and maybe no less in, in what we're doing. But again, it's like if you're really good, that's where that poker thing comes at. Over repetition, the winners will, the cream floats. And, and if you take a bad beat, you know, you do. You can't complain about it. You know, it's not like, yeah. you know, the whole, the whole spirit of stone skipping is, first of all, is if you make too much of getting a bad call in stone skipping, you're probably just a little bit too serious about it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's, you need to take it seriously, but you don't need to take it so seriously that you would like attack other people for it. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's character building. Um, there's, there's some balance between... Stone skipping, there's a ton of skill. We all respect the art and the sport of stone skipping. And then also, we're, we're out here skipping stones. Like, That's, that's right. right. You're right. You're right. Um, I, I have been accused of taking it too seriously. I got into an argument in Michigan, in fact, because they were a little cantankerous about, you know, me getting making it too seriously. And I said, you know, all I did was I just, I just modified. Here's what I say to people. If you don't like me getting this scientific about it then just make the tournament rules such that we can't do that you get what i mean yeah i'm happy playing under any rules you know i'll skip just marbles on a in a kiddie pool if that's what you want to do the tournament in you know it's i can do that but if you're gonna leave me wide open to explore my rock selection or my you know whatever yeah i'm gonna push on it to see if it you know lends an advantage because that's how you grow things. You know, you need crazy people to pull a cart, right? Yeah, you, no <clears throat> sport gets popular without people trying to advance something. To, to, right, to, to explore the full volume and capacity that is bounded by the current rules, right? And inside the current rules, sometimes there are little corners of, that where people just haven't gone. It doesn't mean that they're not allowed. It just means that people haven't bothered with it or seen the doorway into that and and at that point that's when you have to make a decision as a ruling body should we exclude that or is it something that we should let you know encourage other people to also explore because think of uh the high jump how how much you know when like fozenberry flop came along yeah that's like oh you're you're doing it all wrong but what does everybody do now that I mean, they go over backwards by how many feet that's right it's just the whole thing is just can you get over the bar and if you can use your body a different way, whether you're going over face first, like traditionally, or going over back first, well, you know, give the guy credit for coming up with a more biomechanically efficient method to do what you're, what you're supposedly doing, which is to see how high a human body can get over a bar. And that's kind of what I've done for stone skipping, in my opinion, with the spin and the irregularity logic and all that and the water thought. So uh, I, I'm not... Uh, I'm kind of proud of the fact that I pushed it into new areas like that. And it wasn't just me. It was because I had to, it goes back to Russ. I had to figure out a way. My, 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 my straightforward approach was maxed out and Russ had come up with a different way of throwing. He, he, he really did throw it in a different way. And now I realize that it, it is a legitimate way to throw. And, and I split that back and forth between... You know, I would call that a, a whip throw. He basically, he would start with his arm up and pull it down and turn his torso over while he was still standing up fairly upright. And his arm would kind of snap out and he would attack the water close. And 
he, he just did it kind of intuitively. All I really did was take Russ's throw and then just kind of scientifically refine it, you know. But he was the one who actually invented it because it's counterintuitive. It's not the standard throw. Which is very much like a softball throw. It is. It, down. it is, but there's a certain... The follow-through is completely different. You know, so it's all good. It's all good. It's, it's growing. Last thing I'll say on that is I think it's time for like a... I have this idea for like... <laughs> A reality TV show where you take the pri- the primary powerhouses in all this are the Japanese, the Europeans, especially the UK, but increasingly more of some of the continental and the US. And we, and we have a guy from Canada, Drew Quayle, who is also a top class guy. Uh, I believe he's won a couple of tournaments now. He's been there a long time. So you've got the, you've got the North American, the European and the Japanese, and we all do things different. And it would just be so cool kind of put us all in a pool you know like and and you could structure it in a way where you'd have this like global kind of culmination you know where everybody is kind of like maximizing you know getting everybody would do each other's tournament and then the the at the very end there might be a fourth category which is just like skill shots right not distance not aesthetics not skip count but then it'd be like, can you hit targets? Can you can you jump through certain obstacles with your rock? Artificial rocks versus whatever. Yeah. It would just be, I think it would just be fun for people to watch, you know. Just because we also have, like, right now, a lot of historically um, relevant people. If it ever gets serious enough to kind of catch on a little bit, right now we have a lot of people who are really good kind of peaking. And we have some camaraderie and it's it's really wide open as to who the next generation is going to be there are again there's second there's like next generation americans next generation europeans next generation japanese but they haven't earned their day in the sun if you will against these established veterans yet yeah you know but the veterans are getting a little old and you know, long in the tooth. So I think it would be like a good promotional thing for those younger generations to see those crazy cart pullers having it out. <laughs> if we had money, we would just put everybody, get everybody together. It would be a great time. Yeah. <laughs> but you can't get people to just take it seriously because it's so far off the radar. What you had said at the end there was a great transition into the last question I wanted to yeah. ask. Like, what would you want to say to someone who has just finished listening to this interview is and next time that they're by a lake and they see a couple stones or someone who wants to either get better or just wants to have some fun skipping stones? Well, the first thing I would say is, sorry I talk so much getting this far. <laughs> but uh, what I would say is uh, explore your curiosity. That's what it comes down to. Don't take any throw as a, some kind of personal uh, evaluation. Right, it's just an it's just an experiment, and if it doesn't look right to you, then change something about the stone, or change something about the throw, change something about the water, or the angle to the shore, or the wind, and and just keep exploring that, uh, and and have fun. Don't don't compare yourself to the maximum. Right, just have fun with it. Probably the easiest thing to do is is if you have a friend or two with you, then that kind of, you can feed off each other. Like, do something simple like, if there's a log out there, 
or or if there's a you know a shoreline across a river or something you just t- I, I did this with my buddy right he's he's we're just two old guys beaten down by life and we're out camping and there's this, we're in nowhere and there's these just little rocks on this little creek but you look around we found this like water channel and we were kind of making a game that's what we do we make games you that's what i would say make a game out of what you're doing pick a target or pick a goal can you skip a rock we used to do things like this if you hit if you can get it there it's like one point and if you can do that it's two points and if you can do that it's like five and then we would just take like 10 stones a piece and if you just start doing that it's just a matter of repetition it's just being getting comfortable like almost like an instrument in your hand if you just mess with it long enough things start to come out so i would just say uh have fun with it make games evaluate you know adjust if you know pay attention to what goes wrong and then just try something different and eventually you'll start making things go right and once you once you've got that figured out all you have left to do is just try to keep doing that thing that worked at higher and higher powers right and that requires also further adjustments because your body will be differently aligned under higher power and then you have to just adjust that back but the simplest thing I could say is um, don't stop yourself from doing it <laughs> and do as much of it as you can without any judgment, you know, curiosity and analysis, but no judgment and just feel the goodness of it. <laughs> you know, uh, it's just because it's fun. It's learning a skill without letting it become a job. That's like five different things. but. <laughs> And and some people are suited to doing that stuff kind of on their own, and some are more suited to doing it, like I said, in kind of a little gamey situation. Probably it's a little funner, with, you know, with the person, but you learn a little faster by yourself because you're not distracted or whatever. So it's a good balance, you know, a good combination of methodology. I'll say this. I, I acknowledge that not everybody is near good water, and I acknowledge even more that not everybody is good near rocks. and that's something that I'm trying to solve <laughs> in my own world uh, because I, it's kind of like I want to bring the capacity of this to, you know, the opportunity to people. So I had this really crazy idea for like, like a Burning Man project where you take a big flatbed and a water tanker and you go out in the desert and you just lay down a bunch of four by fours in a huge rectangle. And you lay a tarp over it and you fill it with water and then you just skip in that like four inch pool, like, you know, you could do the whole thing for like on, on, you know, fairly cheaply. Yeah. Just, just to play with it, you know, play with it. Kurt Steiner, thank you so much for, for joining me. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for hanging. Yeah. Yeah. I've learned so much and I know that I've only scratch the surface still what i hope really is that people just hear that this is a thing and that there's a lot of good stories in it yeah. and that you can plug in anywhere and anytime you want and that you're always going to be welcome and there's no wrong person who does this every it's 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 uh, like i said it's been uh an unexpected but also like one of the best things that happened in my life you know we all all these people have that same kind of thing like um they all everybody kind of agrees 
there's different groups of people, different kinds of people, and we don't all rub elbows all day long, but you're likely to find somebody who's like right on your wavelength. It's, it's just like one of those things. It's like a band, like maybe a certain band. If you go to a concert, you're just going to find people on the same vibe. Or like I, I'm a backpacker. Right. When yeah. I when I get on the, a long trail, you just you just meet people who are in that same vibe, you know, same story. Right. It's cool people in the same vibe. So how can you go wrong? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for making it to the end of another hour of stone skipping talk. I hope you enjoyed picking the brain of one of the best stone skippers of all time as much as I did. I was a comm major, so the physics often went over my head, but I just find it fascinating to hear how much thought goes into a sport that many of us have tried, often unintentionally. I like to think that this show could one day either help bring someone together with their new favorite sport that they otherwise never would have heard about, or even better, that someone is inspired by these stories like Kurt's enough to join him in being the start of something new and amazing. So if that happens to be you, I can't wait to hear all about it. To use Kurt's words, go and be a crazy cart puller. Until next time, my name is Tommy Butler, and you've been listening to The Ocho.